Hey everybody, welcome to the 59th episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne. Mr. Emotional, that's who I am. Mr. Emotions, Mr. Ten, at least 10 Emotions. Uh, recently on Facebook, I posted about how I'm just not feeling writing lately, and it felt so fucking good. It felt really good. Now, I have this feeling that that kind of behavior is generally kind of frowned upon. The reason why is because most people feel these things and they kind of deal with them privately. Now, I had been kind of not feeling the whole writing thing, I would say probably for the past year or so, and I tried to sort of stoically push myself through it. Like, okay, I'll write every day, and eventually something is just going to crack, and it'll all flow out. And it never happened. It didn't work that way. So... I eventually just became fed up with it. And I think what was bothering me was that I'm a big fan of authenticity, of being real about stuff. And I felt like I just wasn't being real. I felt like I was getting in front of people and saying, everything is cool. We are moving onward and forward into the bold future. And the whole time I'm just feeling on the inside like, God damn, I just can't stand doing this right now. And I think that that's okay to do that. I think that there's a difference between complaining on the internet, particularly complaining on Facebook. Uh, You know, I'll see that all the time. Uh, People just saying things like, I'm having a shitty day, or I'm upset, or life sucks. And in that case, it's kind of, I don't know. I was going to criticize it, but then who am I to criticize that kind of shit it just that kind of stuff feels to me more like you see it a lot from the same people and at a certain point it's kind of like this clearly isn't working as a catharsis for you you're just pushing your shit onto other people uh because a lot of people can't deal with it inwardly so they like they project out and they it's the same thing as just wanting to hurt people for no real good reason just because you're mad about something And I think that when it comes to my situation, um, it wasn't a negative post at all. I think some people misunderstood me and and thought that I was upset or depressed or anything, but actually I was in a really good mood. And I have been in a good mood since I posted that thing. In fact, the big irony is after I said that, I started writing again. All of a sudden, I just felt authentic again. And the words started coming out, you know, because I I had been, I felt like I had aligned the public perception of me with how I felt inwardly. And it really worked. And most people were really fucking cool about it. A lot of people posted on that thread, like, dude, I'm feeling the same way too. And a few people did. I feel like it was a good test. Like when you show people who you are on the inside, they'll do the same thing back to you. They'll, they'll they'll be like, oh, okay, the door is open. Well, here is me. And so I got to see people, I think, for who they really were. And we kind of we kind of dropped that veil of fakeness that we all kind of keep up in order to, to my mind, to sell books. So a, a few people thought that I was shitting on selling books, and I got a little carried away with that. And 
probably didn't express myself the way that I meant to in that I don't have a problem with selling books. I like selling books. I like the the dissemination of art and the compensation for having made art. I think what I was saying was I don't like the selling if it means that we have to kind of give up who we are on the inside. I'm all for people just being real with other people, you know? So anyway, that was really nice. I really appreciate the the community being cool and I appreciate all the support that people sent my way um, anytime. The thing is, is that there's such a dominant narrative about being strong, this kind of weird fake fucking masculinity that comes along with the writing thing that it's this that you just plow forward and you stiff up her lip and move. No, dude, life is way, way, way too short for that shit. Sometimes you don't feel it and that's okay. And it's okay to step back and tell people, I'm feeling a little bit bummed about this entire thing. I'm not depressed. I don't feel shitty about life. I've been enjoying life pretty well recently. Um, knock on wood there. But you don't have to... You're not going to lose sales if you just say, I'm not feeling. And if you do, then fuck it, man. Like, <laughs> it's like, do we really want to sacrifice, you know, being authentic and being who we are for a couple of sales to people who we don't care about anyway? So I became really stoked on the idea of just low, just, just with my own personal books, not Broken River, but with my books kind of. Uh, pulling back the scope of my ambitions with my own writing. Like, I just want to be able to write good stuff. And, you know, I'm thinking about some limited edition type stuff. I'm also thinking about getting in some writing workshops. I talked to some friends who live nearby so that we can start a writer's group or we can get together and talk just so that it's not like this bummer-ass solitary thing. Where, you know, but if that is your thing, then that's totally fine. So anyway, that was great. Today on the podcast, I have Andrew Hilbert. He's a really, really cool guy. The first time I met him was at, I think it was called New South Festival in Austin, which was a comic book uh, sort of outdoor AWP-ish type thing. And it was fantastic. It's probably the best convention I've ever been to for sales, speaking of sales. Now, before we get into it, I want to let you know something. There's a point in time in this interview where Andrew and I are talking about his first book, Death Thing. Um, And we're kind of throwing a little bit of shade at his prior publisher. But we kind of do so in a flippant, oh, that crazy guy kind of way. Now, we recorded this, I think, over a week ago. And (laughs) since we recorded this... um, there have been some just monstrous allegations leveled at this person who we're talking about. I'm not going to get too into it. If you want to play detective and find out what's going on, you're more than welcome to do that. I just wanted to let the people who know who we're talking about know that we are not being cavalier about what he is currently in prison for. We are talking basically specifically just about his uh, ineptitudes at the time, um, because we were not aware of that. But it is horrifying and monstrous, and we're definitely not just, you know, laughing that off or shrugging that off. So glad I got that out of the way. 
Andrew's a really, really cool guy. I had a great conversation with him. And uh, his new book is called Invasion of the Weirdos. And I don't know what it is about recording that makes my dog decide that she wants to do everything at this moment. Mostly she just lays around and chills. But as soon as I get in front of this mic, she starts like scratching herself and wandering around and eating kibbles and drinking water. So you get to hear, I think Kahlua is actually the real co-host of this show. So I hope you enjoy that. Anyhow, Andrew Hilbert, Invasion of the Weirdos. Please enjoy this 59th episode of The JDO Show. Hey, Andrew, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, sorry, but I'm a little bit late. I had to talk to my mom. I'm a, I'm a mama's boy, dude. I understand. I understand. I, I, I call my parents pretty often. Are, so. Now, are you, are, you, uh, are you kind of tight with both parents, or is it kind of like a, a fuck you dad situation like it is with me, or what? I'm tight with both. I'm, I'm so tight, they'll probably be listening to this, so... Uh with both <laughs> equally all right i'll watch my language <laughs> that's all right so how, how are things man you got a new book out yeah things are great had a new book out uh hung out with max uh max booth all day yesterday oh gross at the uh san antonio <laughs> the uh san antonio lit vest and uh hanging out with max we had a good time you know oh. we sat around oh, that guy sucked no i'm just kidding i love it, max it's not it wasn't as bad as it sounds. We uh, we hung around uh, and uh, made fun of passersby and all that kind of jazz. Hell so yeah. it was great. So wait, so you said the San Antonio Lit Fest. So what is this like? Kind of a like an AWP situation, or? Um, I've never been to AWP, um, but just judging from the first time I ever went to uh, yesterday, the San Antonio Lit Fest, it was nothing like AWP. Nice. Um, it was just, you know, it was like a kind of an outdoor festival. They had some speakers and stuff and a bunch of uh, booths set up. And, uh, you know, there's like sci-fi self-published authors and that kind of stuff all around. And lots of, oh, here's this thing that can clean water. You know, those kind of things. It was Wait, really small. On. Wait, what do you mean like here's the thing that can clean water? So like inventions and shit? I, no, it wasn't like inventions. It was like, like uh, non-profit groups that – uh that want people to donate money or sign petitions or something. Oh, um, okay. I'm making it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but by far, like this, there's this lady who I know of who's been at like every festival I've ever been at. She like, uh, has her own self publishing company and, uh, she was there there and uh, she has her book. She has her own bookstore in San Antonio that only stocks her books. What? And, uh, yeah, no, I'm not kidding. I'm not going to say the I'm not going to say the fucking name or anything because, uh, you know, I'm not sure, like, if she's totally crazy or what. But uh, I, I, I took math by Max by the booth because I was aware of her and I saw her there yesterday. And uh, I noticed on her sign it was like uh, this publishing company specializes in central Texas, Texas author. So, uh <laughs> I like that you said I mean, like, like I like you said that like I don't know if she's crazy or not, but she has a bookstore that only stocks her own books. Right. right. <laughs> no man, it's crazy. Like the sign's totally grammatically correct, you know. Mm-hmm. But she's I bet she's like banking on people thinking it's a typo, you know. Right. Like legitimizing her, her small press by like, oh, she must mean Central Texas authors. Totally, but no, that's not the case at all. Oh my god, that's so great! And I also love the fact that you 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 take 
you and Max Booth are wandering the booths. So like when you have your booth, oh, yeah. it's the Max Booth booth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a good time. Man. It was a great time. Dude, those things are so fun, man. I, I was thinking about this. If I could have a like any career in the world that I actually wanted, uh, it wouldn't be writer. It would actually be a guy who gets to just go to all those festivals and just like hang out because you and I met at one of those. Uh, yeah. And that was like the most fun for me. Like I sold more books at, what was the name of that damn thing? I can't remember it now. It was uh new South, new South. Right. I sold more books at that than any lit fest that I'd ever been to. And it kind of put this in my brain that the, the, the proper avenue, like I, I hear a lot about certain uh, writers, you know, I think um, there's a guy, do you know who Nate Carson is? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, he's a, uh, he's a guy up here in Portland. He had a book on lazy fascist called star Creek, but he's also um, the drummer for a band called witch mountain, which is like a doom metal uh, uh, type. They're, they're real good. But so he, he takes the books with him on tour and it got me thinking, it's like, man, the best place to sell books is at these festivals where nobody else is selling books. So if I if I could have a job, it would just be to go to these festivals because so, you get to see new cool shit and like meet cool people. It's like the best time ever. Dude, we were, we were talking about that yesterday. It's like uh, you don't sell books at Lit Fest, really. I mean, um. We sold books yesterday. Don't get me wrong; we did pretty well. But uh, uh, you just—it's it's, just—it's a, a weird thing. Cause I feel like everyone there is an author or wanting to get published or something like that. And you get like plenty of people coming up and asking for submission guidelines, like in person. Mm-hmm. It's just a—it's just a bizarre, just a bu- bizarre kind of situation. You're at a lit fest. There's a lot of families, especially in San Antonio, a lot of families with kids and stuff, and they're not, not going to be really into perpetual motion machine publishing stuff or my stuff at all yeah. although oh, we did swindle a few fathers out of their hard-earned dollars Hell yeah. but uh but it was just like i mean it's just, it's just kind of a bizarre situation where like lit fests aren't really about selling books it's just kind of more about uh if you're there it's like a, a writer trying to network well i don't yeah. know I, I don't know how to explain it but it's just a bizarre scene no you're totally right man because when you go to awp that's pretty much the majority of what it is i mean i the last day, I didn't go to this last one, but I went to one before it, and uh, I had a booth, and we sold okay. Uh, no complaints about that, really, but at the same time, it was like, um, yeah, I mean, people are there to figure out how to, like, worm their way into whatever you have going on, uh, which at a certain point, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll fuck with you, man. I'll, I'll be your friend and stuff, but, like, I'm not really looking... Like I'm full up on, on Broken River. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah, we're we're doors are closed. Uh, and then once yeah. that happens, you know, people kind of shut down. And what was so cool about New South was, it was all these comic book people for the most part. Um, yeah. And so I was able to wander the booth and 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 find new cool shit from a world that I wasn't already familiar with. And it was like vice versa as well. People would come by and be like oh what the hell is this you know this is really cool so yeah they're really really sweet but like the writing ones are kind of uh oh and tell me what you think about this that kind of like 
spreads out to social media, right? Like, I mean, our kind of click within social media. I was I was saying this to I was talking to my friend Cody Goodfellow on the phone today, and I was like, it seems like the the most you could do on on Facebook is get a Facebook ad, pay like fifty bucks, and then at that point, that's your you've covered your Facebook base at that point, right? Because there's like yeah. There's nothing else you can really do. Everybody's friends with everybody. It's all like, it's like standing in a group. If you're in a group with five people and you're at a bar and you're all hanging out and somebody's like, and you're all writers and so-and-so is like, hey, uh, this guy has a new book out and I think you other three people should buy it. Like half of one person is going to buy that book. Right. Right. <laughs> it's going to do right. so begrudgingly. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a weird thing though. Cause like you do try to, uh, yeah, this is weird. You know, you got to have your personal page and you have your your fan page or whatever, which is just like, I mean, this is something I've been trying to figure out personally is like how to handle that weird, shameless self-promotion bit to like the people, you know, yeah. and try to gain fans. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a mind fuck trying to uh, navigate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I've kind of just given up, honestly. <laughs> Well, when you say given up, though, I mean, obviously, you're still writing books, you're still putting books out. So are you just kind of doing it with like a shrug, like, ah, here, here it is. No, I'm giving up on like the sense of like, um, there's no formula. You know what I mean? There's like, people can tell you, oh, this is what you do. You just do this, you do that. And uh, nothing works. I mean, it's different for everybody. You know, some people have like a personality they sell. You know, some people don't get part of any clicks or anything like that. And I just don't know where I you know, where, where I fit in and all that. So I think it's, you know, I've given up on trying to like find the magic bullet, you know, uh, if you're like, yeah, I'll just keep, I'll just keep writing books and, you know, someday somebody will read it and they'll like it a whole lot and maybe I'll, I'll gain 20 fans from that. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I'm not actively trying to like gain fans by being this witty person on Facebook or a witty person on Twitter. It just gets so tiring after a while. It's a full-time job, dude. I mean, I was, yeah. I was, I, I went in, dude, this is so fun that the conversation's going this way because I was at work last night and I meant to get work done, but instead I just, I, I do this thing where I kind of look up quote unquote successful authors and I try to reverse yeah. engineer how they got to where they were. Um, and yeah. it's this bizarre thing, dude, where there's, Okay, so there's three things I think that get people to that point, uh, but I'll I'll talk instead. I mean, I can talk about those three things, but basically, basically, like the people who are doing all the social media. I went to this guy Scott Sigler, um, who is apparently just like he's all over social media all the time, and he seems to write these kind of boring books. Uh, sorry, Scott, if you're listening, uh, but he, <laughs> he he does like these like post-apocalyptic like fiction books or whatever. And, um, basically like he, he's like constantly pumping out like YouTube videos and tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts. And it's just like, I don't think I want that. That's not why I'm doing what I'm right. Like, I mean, that's not why you're doing this. You're not doing this to like be a social media personality. No, I mean like, here's the thing. Like I like my day day job too. You know what I mean? I mean, it's actually kind of a night job. It's like. I like my job. It pays the bills. It, you know, I, I, I hear conversations I wouldn't hear anywhere else. Um, if I was at home all day, like making 
like really complicated fart jokes about Donald Trump or something <laughs> on Twitter or Facebook, I I would go crazy and I would you know I'd run out of material super fast. Yeah. You know, and so I it's just I don't understand how people can like the I don't know I just don't get it I don't understand it at all and I really don't know how much money they could actually be making like they're successful publishers or I mean successful authors and they're self-publishing they've got to be pumping out tons of erotica a book a day kind of thing or they're independent independently wealthy and they don't want to admit it okay you know? so you just touched on the number one okay so there's like remember how I said there's three things uh, the first yeah. one is independently wealthy and you'll see this all the time uh, there's an article in The Guardian. How did this author, this self-published author, sell 400,000 copies of his books over the course of a year? And you read and you find tucked away within that interview this throwaway line where he's like, well, and I, I, I put about $130,000 worth of advertising dollars into it. And you're <laughs> like, okay, all right, well, there you go, right there. Um, Sweet. <laughs> I think if any of us put $100,000 into advertising, we'd probably sell a half a million copies too. Um, uh, the second thing is the kind of traditional intern to low level paper pusher to some kind of position within a publishing company model, which is popularized by the move, move to New York, get an MFA type thing, which is right. whack. Um, and just not like how, <laughs> how I would want to live my life. Shout out to those who have chosen to do so. Um, and then hey man, there's no there's no hate to those people. You know they do what they no, gotta do. Dude, no, no, absolutely not. Like I, it's it's totally fine. It's just that you know you've wasted all your time. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. But then the third <laughs> one is just is actually uh, having uh, I call it the having a daddy model, right? Where uh, the daddy could be anything. It could be uh, a traditional publisher that actually does its job, which you've also lucked out there. Now you're the one percent of the one percent. Um, it could also just be, um, well, it's like one of my favorite, um, uh, thinkers, writers, whatever used to be a porn star. Right. So he, he has that built in audience because he's been in tons of porn movies. Uh, there's right. another one who we're talking about Karl Marx here or who are we talking about? Oh yeah. Karl Marx actually. Yeah. He was in, uh, uh, the, <laughs> the butthole manifesto, um, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, Andrew's mom and dad. Um, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's there's another guy whose uh, podcast I love. His name's Duncan Trussell, and you know, his podcast is fantastic. He's an amazing human being. But he was also like best friends with uh, Joe Rogan, who has the biggest podcast in the world, right? Uh, and so he's, right. he's been on that thing a few times. And so yeah, of course you have an audience. So those are like the three things I think. There's the there's the kind of uh, career person, the independently wealthy, or the person who has that friend. Uh, and, right. um, and that's it as far as I can see. Yeah. Well, I've got none of those. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep asking if they want another beer. Yeah. 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 Me, I mean, me neither, man. Uh, so you were talking yeah. about this. So you work nights as well. You, you were a fellow night owl. Yeah. Well, I, I work mostly nights. I do swing some, uh, some opening shifts too, but I'm mainly a night guy uh, at a at a beer bar slash coffee shop Whoa. Um, down down here in Austin. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a nice gig. I, I like it a lot actually. Get to kick people out, you know, um, those kind of things. <laughs> Bring me joy. 
so are you are you a bartender then? Is that what it is? Yeah, bartender. I'm actually a, a bar manager now, though. Uh, yeah, I, I manage, but I still, you know, it's still managers basically do the same job as everybody else, except they're responsible for the money at the end of the night. Okay. So uh, I still most most of the night I'm just slanging beers, cutting people off. Off and kicking people out. So what, what's <laughs> so. what's the line for cutting? Because I I worked at a um, a hot dog place that sold beer in Oklahoma for a while, and uh, yeah. I was the manager there. And people always thought that I was like an asshole for cutting people off, but I would have people coming in. It really like, depends. Yeah, I mean, I would have people come in who like I didn't even realize you could be that drunk, you know? And I'd be like, dude, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. And then my boss would come in and be like, "Why didn't you give him beer?" And I'm like, "Because he might he might actually die." <laughs> <He's evil. laughs> yeah. Well, in, in Texas, Texas has really really fucked up alcohol laws, and they're like holdovers from prohibition, basically. So, I'm from California, and uh, in California, you can buy liquor at grocery stores. You can buy liquor on Sundays. You can you know, you can basically buy liquor wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, in Texas, there's a special liquor store, and uh, you can't buy liquor uh, uh, on Sundays. You can't buy any alcohol before noon on Sundays, Whoa. even at a bar. So it's just like it's very, very weird. So, and everyone kind of knows that in Texas, but where I live in Austin, is people are really a lot of people are from out of town, so they're coming from California. They don't know the laws, they don't know the rules, they don't know the quirks of like living in a hyper morally regulated red state versus like living in a blue state where it's regulated in other ways. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the standard line for me is just basically if it, if they're a regular, they're very hard to cut off because they're always there and they're always tipping. Well, you always say, Hey Steve, I think you had enough and you give them, Hey, and you give them like a glass of water, right? It's, you know, <laughs> some guys, some guys come in and it's like, yeah, man, give me a beer. I'm like, I don't think so bud and like what do you mean and uh it gets you know it could either go real heated or not at all at that point but my line is like ah, i don't think i can serve you any more beer and uh and see where it goes from there you know basically the, stand the, back like, about 10 feet what are the what, what are the outward signs is it like are they like sweating are they stumbling well, if someone's stumbling or slurring words uh um that's kind of like where i'll ask them a bunch of questions questions like oh let me see your id mm-hmm. you know and you ask them oh where do you what's on this id right you know if they're slurring words and stumbling the whole way through where they don't know it's uh it's pretty much no beer for you bud whoa oh that's crazy and have you gotten people to to be like super irate about that oh yeah lots of times many many times like, um i've kind of become like the, uh throwing stuff i've not throwing actual so there's not much to throw around in the place, but kind of like, you know, pounding their fists on the table, yelling and screaming, you know, or the, my favorite line is, I know the owner, you know, and <laughs> I, I've learned to just say, oh, yeah, what's his fucking name? <laughs> you know? And of course, they, of course, they don't know. So, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just a life. Well, when I used to work at the hot dog place, uh, the the owner was a guy who had just gotten out of, um, he had just graduated from OU, and his dad owned a, a restaurant in Anadarko, which I was in Norman, so Anadarko is this tiny piece of shit town, um, and 
basically like the, they moved to Norman and the dad opened up this restaurant right on campus corner and gave the son uh, run of the place. He was the owner. So what that ended up meaning is that when these fucking trashed douchebags would walk in, they'd say like, I, I know Patrick. And they did. You know, and so and so it would be one of those things yeah. where it's like, oh, okay. But at the same time, like I had one guy come in one time and he he was pointing at the floor and he was like, I'm looking for the, where's the yellow door? And I was like, I don't fucking know, man. Like, where is the yellow door? And he was like, the yellow, yellow <laughs> the yellow door. I know Patrick. <laughs> like, do you want a, do you want a beer, dude? Like, <laughs> just, just take the beer and sit down. How about care. a fucking hot dog, man? <laughs> Take your hot dog and shut it. Exactly. No, yeah, we, we get we get guys like I I know I know him I know the owner and uh, you know a lot of times they do our owner's not a hermit or anything, mm-hmm. but a lot of times they do. But it's just yeah, well I know the owner too, man. Sorry, like why don't you complain to him about it and then I'll get in trouble later. Yeah, but, it's like it's like I know yeah, the, it, I know the I know the owner and I don't think he wants anybody to die in his bar. <laughs> right, or get arrested, or you know get into a fight, or fucking puke all over his shit. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Well, it sounds like fun. I mean, it's it seems it's like great. It'd be, I love it. Be entertaining. I love it. It's the best job I've had in my entire goddamn life, basically. Oh, so oh, that's a that's a, we can go down that rabbit hole. What uh? What, <laughs> you want to go down that route? Hell yeah, dude. What what are the worst? All right. Uh, well, I worked at Subway. My first job, I think, ever was Subway, and uh, I was so unqualified. To be a sandwich artist, that they uh, gave me a sandwich costume to dance in, in the middle of the street. That was that was a blast. And none of my friends knew this. I mean, they knew I worked at Subway, but they didn't know I was like the sandwich artist. And yeah. I swear, I'd see like my friends throwing trash at me and calling me, na- you know, just ridiculous names and stuff. Yeah. But uh, finally, someone did recognize me by my shoes because I'm a cartoon character. I've been wearing the same kind of shoes for like decades now yeah reebok classics you know and oh, that's uh fresh, man that's fresh yeah they're just comfortable man you know what can i say so right. you know but uh that was the worst job one of the worst jobs i've ever had um worked at costco which was like on paper a very good job but when you're in college um you're just working too hard you know you'd rather be mm-hmm. partying you know mm-hmm. uh, it was a good paying job got health care but I, you know, I hated it. I felt like it was soul destroying. And it was about around the same time I was getting into Bukowski, so I felt like oh. righteous indignation about having, having to work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, so. what, now, what do you think qualifies as a soul destroying job? Because that 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 gets thrown around a lot. But is it is it a job that just makes you too tired to do art, or is it a job that actually makes you, I don't know, feel shitty about humanity, or both? I don't know. I don't know. Cause I, I've, you know, I've never been a coal miner. I've never, <laughs> I've never, you know, worked on a rig or anything like that. I imagine those are actually soul destroying jobs. But for me, whenever like an artist says, Oh, I've worked in the soul destroying job. I work 15 hours a week and I can't do art. Yeah. I just think you fucking piece of shit. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what qualifies a soul destroying job. I'm sure they're out there, but uh, I've never really worked one in a, actuality right 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 right. well no i mean i think that like it's 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 a tough it's a tough balance how many how many books do you have out right now 
Uh, I have three books, uh, Death Thing, Bang Face in the Glory Hole, and uh, Invasion of the Weirdos, which just came out. Okay, cool. So I want to I want to go through all of those, but before I do that, it's like, did so did you start writing these books once you had the bar manager job, or did you do some of them with these other quote unquote soul sucking jobs? No. So uh, <clears throat> back when I was working at Costco, I was writing like writing and reading a lot of poetry, and uh, I decided to move to Texas because I was tired of working at Costco. Yeah. Had a college degree, and I just wanted to like test my metal. Want to see if I could, you know, start something somewhere else. Yeah. So I moved to, moved to San Antonio and was like really lonely for a long time. Didn't know anybody. And I, I noticed my poetry was kind of moving in a more narrative direction. So I started writing flash fiction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, got a few stories published in Out of the Gutter and places like that. And uh, started writing longer form stuff shortly afterwards. But I've pretty much always been writing. Um, I've never... I've never had the excuse in my own mind to like be so tired from my job to not be able to go home and write. I, I'd always, mm-hmm. I always have time to write, and I always place a priority on it, um, even to like you know my financial detriment, you know. Sure. But uh, I've just never given myself that, and I'm not like judging people who who have different work ethics or anything like that. But in my own in my own life, I've just never had, never felt a, it was a valid excuse. Right, right, right. That's that's. Um, I'm gonna pick that up real fast. I have to get my charger so my computer doesn't die. I'll be back in 30 seconds. Sounds good. Cool. Sir, are you still there? I'm here. Find oh. it. Yeah, you get you got to hear. Uh, uh, I don't know if you heard, but Rios just came home. Dog was freaking out. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I heard. I heard a lot of commotion. <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, it was. It was actually a good time for me to go get my charger. Uh, but one <laughs> one thing that I wanted to kind of. Uh, I I recently went through like a, a depression. You know, get those every once in a while. Um, 
And so one thing you said that it was, you know, sometimes to your, you know, financial de- detriment was writing these books, right? Um, and yeah. so I kind of want to, and you can just, you can just go from this, like wherever you want to take it is cool. But if that's the case, uh, why, why are you doing it? Well, it's not like, um, you know, it's, it's not like I, I'd forego getting a job to write these books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely see the value of a job and a paycheck and a roof over your head and all those kind of things. Uh, um, it's just maybe while writing these books, uh, I wasn't looking for better jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had a job the whole time I was working, you know, I was doing these and I had, I had a job at a bookstore. I love the job at the bookstore. I met a lot of great people, but I was working for poverty levels, you know, mm-hmm. charging groceries on a, on a credit card. And, uh, you know, it was like very, it was like, like sub subsistence living. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I was working on a book and stuff, I didn't really think I was just thinking, Oh, well, once I get through this, I'll get a better job, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it just kind of like delayed the process of getting better jobs. Um, it, it, it wasn't like I was purposely being a starving artist or anything like that. I, you know, I never was a starving artist. Um, I always had, I always had the means to eat. I was I always had a roof over my head. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't romanticize the whole idea of like, uh, um, foregoing a, a meal. I mean, you look, I mean, I'm overweight. I don't forego meals. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where to my financial detriment, I mean, I was focusing more on the book than I was focusing on getting a better job. Not that I didn't have a job. Right. 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 Okay. Sure. 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 But yeah, I guess, I guess more like what, what I'm getting at with that is that like, if if uh if like so what's the impulse to 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 write the book because i was thinking about basically like what i've I've been thinking about a lot is like um the fact that um people don't read that much i I don't want to get too much into it like a like a oh of culture is just going down the toilet yeah you know blah 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 whatever like that's all bullshit no yeah but right understand but facts on the ground are that you know very limited people who who read uh, uh even fewer people read fiction uh of fiction even fewer people read genre fiction and then there's the subset of what we do which is the genre of the genre right <laughs> is that fair i feel like that's exactly. fair oh that's fair i and and i agree with that assessment but i do think we are living in like a narrative renaissance oh please in a lot of ways uh, just because just roll with that that's it, great People don't read, sure, but more and more. Our generation uh, reads more than the generation before us. Okay. I, you know, I, I read that. I read that somewhere. Whatever, you know, who knows what you know? Could have been Breitbart.com. I have no fucking clue where I read it. <laughs> Breitbart but, does some really great, but, good stuff. <laughs> right, right. Hey, they really take it to the spaghetti heads, man. Let me tell <laughs> you. <laughs> but. Uh, but we, so our generation reads more than, than the generation before us. That, that, let, let, let's just take that as if it's fact right now. Okay. But also, um, you know, there are video games that have storylines. There are TV shows that have storylines that people are consuming in mass. Um, you know, even people reading blogs or watching YouTube videos, somebody's writing that shit. Yeah. Um, so what we do uh, may be like the least consumed form of writing. But people are consuming narrative probably more than they ever have in the history of the world, uh, in my 
opinion. So I think, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy the doomsday that, uh, that nobody's reading. There's no place for writers and any of that kind of stuff. You know, you, you, it might have to take a pay cut, which, you know, there, there's not much to cut, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, it, it just takes looking around, you know, I, I don't have, I, you know, I, I don't have any skills in writing video games or anything like that, but people are writing video games too. They're not only writing books. Um, I was reading, Oh, I'm sorry, please go ahead. Well, I, I was reading a, a Kurt Vonnegut, uh, biography and, uh, there's a door to door set salesman trying to sell sell him a TV. He bought the TV and he told his wife, I'm going to quit writing books because this is the future. People are going to consume stories this way, you know, and there's very few Kurt Vonnegut things that he, that he wrote for TV that, that have survived. Uh, he's mm-hmm. well known for his books, you know? So, so I think everyone goes through a collective, uh, pants shitting about the future of, of writing and all that, but there's just, there's more and more avenues to actually put out a story and really how many fucking stories are there in the world? Um, just takes, yeah, you know, it just takes people writing them to, to figure out the uh, best way to tell them. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting, man. Like that's, that, yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. And I, I 100% agree with you. Like I, I definitely also don't subscribe to like the sky is falling pants shooting kind of model of the whole thing. I guess, I guess kind of where I come from, the thing that this sort of um, seemingly doomsdayic uh, uh, talk comes from is that I had a lot of thoughts about like audience basically, like who is it for? You yeah. Know? And um, one of the things that I encountered when I started talking about, like, who is this book for, is a lot of Facebook comments that just say, well, I just write the book that I want to read. And it's like, well, yeah, no shit, genius. Like, of course you do. Like, <laughs> why the fuck else would you do it? Like, it would, writing it in and of itself, God bless you. But, you know, writing a book that you don't even want to read, like, you'd have to be fucking right. hinged to do that. So it's this yeah. kind of tautological like like bullshit that people say, oh, you just write what you want to read. But no, I think like like audience is important, right? So I was thinking about in terms of audience, you know, and just like how you shift writing towards doing what you want to do, but also, I mean, everybody does what they do for an audience, no matter what job you have, right? Right, right, right. exactly. And I think it's capturing the audience. So, you know, the audience that you can have the best chance of capturing are people that already read. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, I, I do a lot of uh, live readings and performance types stuff in Austin. I did, I used to do a lot more. And, uh, when you take what's on the page and make it more fun live, you know, I think, uh, you get a better chance of capturing more than just that. Mm-hmm. You get a way better chance of capturing people who are actually reading, but you also get a chance to capture, um, people who don't maybe not normally read, um, you know, and, and I've had, I've had some good luck with that. I sell mo- most books when I'm reading, uh, doing a live reading rather than any other way, you know? So what do you, so, do, hey, what, what do you, what do you do for that? Well, I mean, I, I would say a lot of my stories and, and a lot of my, my narrative lends itself to performance anyways. It's a uh, dialogue heavy, you know, and, and I try, I, I try to write, uh, humor mostly. So it, kind of lends itself to that. And then there's also bizarre situations. Um, one of the best stories I, I did live, uh, uh, you know, have the best response was a story called my talking dog. And it was about a dog who just started talking one day and he was trying to get bacon out of his owner and he revealed some secrets about the owner 
and you better hurry up and give me that bacon because the wife's waking up. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like that thing, you know, so it's kind of like that thing and people laughed and loved it and bought my chat book. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I don't know. I mean, you, you can't, it's, I think writers have it kind of hard in terms of selling themselves. Cause if you're a musician, well, you play live, people consume it instantly. Yeah. If you're a writer, it requires people to read. So if you're doing something more than just reading it, um, you can, uh, you can get more. Like I, I would do, uh, you know, dramatizations or basically act out the story, um, which it sounds like fucking PBS kind of, you know, community college, like a, a play time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was actually, you know, it was actually pretty funny, you know, especially when there's beer involved and all that kind of stuff. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and, and, and I always try to sandwich it with music because I know like, man, music's going to get people happy no matter what. Oh, for sure, for so, uh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think that, uh, I've, one of the best things about moving to Portland has been that I've, I've, I've become really good friends with a guy named Johnny Shaw who, um, yeah. he's a, he's a crime writer, but he, he specifically has pieces for live reading that are just funny, you know? Uh, right. and they're not in his books. They're not from the book that he's selling. And I took a lot from that and I started to kind of copy what he was doing. So, I realized that when I would go to a reading and I would read from, you know, black gum or something, uh, everybody would be kind of bored or bummed or whatever, because, you know, I think it's a pretty good book when you read it, but, uh, having it read to you, maybe not so much. Um, right. And so I wrote a story about, uh, it was a Ninja Turtles porn. Right. And all of a sudden it it was like night and day. It was like night and day. Like the the first time I read the Ninja Turtle story, it was it was like one of the best experiences of my life. People fucking loved it because it was like it was more like stand up comedy than it was a reading. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and yeah. I think that's yeah. why right now when you see poet like uh, sorry when you see readings uh, being successful, it's poetry because poetry is more like stand up comedy than novel writing is. Obviously, short, punchy. Right. Um, and. There's nothing worse than having a writer come up to a mic with 10 pages and be like, okay, so here's the setup. And you're like, fuck. I know. You know what I mean? It's the worst thing ever. So yeah. I feel like I feel like actually reading a novel, unless your novel is hilarious, uh, is, is probably like, you should probably just throw that in the trash when it comes to live reading. Like, <laughs> right. Solely focus on, on being funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I think certain people can do it well. I mean, I I don't know. I haven't seen it very many times, but I, I feel like if if an author has a serious book, uh, they could read like an excerpt excerpt or talk about it a little bit. But then they focus. But then they should just jump straight into like the Q and A or have a host that asks some questions. Um, because I've been to readings and, and book signings that were just awful. I mean, mm-hmm. you're right. Ten pages of ten pages of exposition. Uh, after five minutes of exposition, you know, where the author's yeah. telling you what happened. Um, and it's just, it's just rough. It, it, it is hard. I mean, it's a lot harder to, to convey like what a book's about if it's a novel and all that kind of stuff. So it's a tough, like skill to master, I guess. It is. But I think that, I think that if you even wanted to like convey what the book was about, you could come up with a piece, you know, it might come down to laziness because you could come up with a piece yeah no matter what book you come out with, you could come up with a piece that is like, 
if you were to do something serious, why not condense it into a 10 minute like TED talk? People watch TED talks. Those aren't funny normally. Uh, or if it is, um, it's that kind of like really rich white liberal humor where everybody chuckles uh, very cautiously. Yeah. Uh, but like TED Talks. I can't stand TED Talks. <laughs> but people listen to them, listen to them yeah. <laughs> okay, so fair, fair enough. I, mean, I heard a TED Talk. I mean, I, but here's the thing. I, mean, I heard a TED Talk where someone was telling you had the right way to tie a shoe. I didn't realize I was tying my shoe like the wrong way or anything, but that has been listened to millions and millions of times. Hold you know, the phone. So they're doing hold something, the something right. <laughs> What's, what, hold on. Wait. Back up. What's the wrong way to tie a shoe? Dude. I don't even know, man. I mean, he. It, it, so I'm a very visual learner. So when someone's saying, here's how you tie a shoe, mm-hmm. if I'm hearing it over the radio, it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. You know, might as well be in Italian or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same way, dude. I, I, have to, I definitely have to see it. Like I've tried to learn. Like that's why when uh, it, another thing in novels, when they try to describe like a process, uh, like a mechanical yeah. process and they're like, and then the piston churned and, th- and I'm like, I'm, I'm out of it. I have no idea. I'm just picturing some yeah. like Hellboy two clock gears, you know, I'm like, there's something going on there. I just skip it and just assume it's things like that, happened. That part of, part of Moby Dick that explains fucking whaling, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I have no clue. I, I haven't been on a boat for more than an hour at a time, you know? Um, uh, it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Now, if you wanted to talk about, yeah. you know, Ahab's problems with his with his parents then I'm there like I'm like oh okay I recognize this I can, yeah <laughs> I could do something with this so um I do I do kind of want like and I it, not not a super booky uh podcast but I do want to kind of talk so wh- what's this what's this uh let's let's move through the progression of books here because you had mentioned three and uh yeah and I'm asking this because uh I'm always interested I'm interested very interested in writers progressions right now that's kind of my thing like I want to see where yeah. people start and where they go. So, um, as much as you're comfortable with, like we'll start with that thing, and then we'll kind of go from there. Okay. Okay. Well, if you want to know progressions, you know, I was writing poetry and reading poetry for a long time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I was going a little more narrative in style, uh, and it kind of like started with uh, I was in Salt Lake City visiting my cousin. I went to a thrift store and I saw a guy undressing a barbie doll in a couch tight and he was just and he was talking to what i assume was his wife uh and he was talking about how he couldn't go somewhere because he was just too busy but he, i saw him there undressing his barbie doll um so i wrote a, <laughs> yeah it was just the most bizarre scene you know and so i just like wrote a poem about it and i realized you know these are you know this is probably better captured as a story people are so bizarre uh you know and, and so I started moving into flash fiction and stuff. And I started writing stories and I started performing them live. So I, I made chat books to sell at those live performances. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Uh, in Austin was when I really started doing the live performances and selling chat books. And uh, I had this idea for a story called Death Thing. And uh, it was someone hit me from behind in uh, San Antonio. And I just told the guy, hey, man, no big deal. I got somewhere to be. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna worry about it. It looks like there's no damage, whatever. Right. Um, well, when I got home the next day, like I couldn't open my trunk. The trunk, I me, mean, I couldn't open my trunk, but it wouldn't close again. Uh-huh. And uh, so from that one experience, I had the idea for death thing, which is like a, a death mobile bait trap for criminals. 
Um, so I wrote that, submitted it around, uh, didn't hear back from anybody, but then, uh, somebody started a small press and wanted to know if I had anything. They picked it up. Um, so I, you know, so I, I let them, you know, they, they took it. Um, the press folded as is a Whoops. story with lots of small presses. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, I thought I was a real writer, mom, Yeah. you know, but, uh, but then I, uh, uh, yeah, so I was writing this book, Invasion of the Weirdos, during this time. Uh, but I was so kind of pissed off about the the press folding that I wanted to write something real quick, well, real was a fast. Situation too. I mean, that wasn't a normal folding too. Uh, I mean, no, no. For, for people, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about, and I tried to yeah, convince right. that motherfucker not to start that press in the first place, and he didn't listen okay. to me. And then he started it, and then he got all pissy with. He's, I don't know, fuck it, whatever. That's my, I that's, that's my learned rant. a lot. I mean, I learned, yeah, I learned a lot more about it afterwards. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that drama is still unfolding, but it's like, I so, going back to social media, I know too much about people. Um, so, you know, I just kind of like recently had to, uh, do the, do the grand sin of, uh, unfriending certain people. It's like, Oh man, what did I, they do? I, I know too much about their lives. Not going to get into it, but, but, just do too much about their lives. So I couldn't even deal with it anymore. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's, you'll, you'll be able to find some stuff on what it. What did Max for sure. do? Wasn't <laughs> uh, <laughs> Max. Max is great. Max is wonderful. Here, here, here's the, here's how I knew perpetual motion machine was, a, was a good press. Cause I've read books of perpetual motion, motion machine. There's some of my favorite books uh-huh. and uh, they've been around for quite a while. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I love giving him shit. When I Max mean, picked just... up the of the weirdos, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, when Max took up Invasion of the Weirdos, I was, man, I had, you know, I was just ecstatic. Hell yeah, dude. No, I, I like giving him shit because I actually like him as a human being. So that, that yeah. that's how you can tell. It's like, it's like when you, when yeah. you actually don't like somebody, like we we're talking about with, with your death thing press, it's like you pull back a bit. You're like, uh, yeah. something happened. And then yeah. it's like, you get to Max and it's like, fuck that guy. But it's, it's the, it's, it's the reverse. It's like, it's the opposite. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so anyway sorry I yeah well you know uh it's i i don't even remember what i was doing but uh yeah i mean I, i've been perpetual motion machine publishing couldn't have asked for a better place to place the book so you know so you went from one extreme to the next but in between time i uh i basically self-published uh bang face in the glory hole which i wrote in like two months and then edited for like a month and just decided ah, let's just see where it goes goes no one's gonna pick it up because it's you know ridiculous mm-hmm. um so it's shit and actually did pretty well uh, in okay. terms of sales but uh man you would but, be surprised yeah. you would be surprised how far like eraserhead press has built an entire business off of like the because you would think like bang face and the glory hole who the fuck is gonna read that and it turns out way more people than would read something called you know something normal you know like it, it's, right. it's almost like that shock value really works in a weird way yeah, I mean, I was very afraid that people would take it the wrong way because the character is kind of like um, character is old fashioned, like, like for the best you know, the the best sense of the word. He's just old fashioned dude, and I thought people just wouldn't get it, but uh, it, it got pretty good reviews and people got it. You know, people understood that the character it was just the character, um, you know. So. Oh well, then that means you haven't you haven't experienced what I have, which is uh, the uh, people calling you a uh, 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 misogynistic and transphobic and homophobic yet, which is fun. Uh, 
That's a fun point. I was, I was very fearful. I mean, an early reader did actually use those, uh, for it, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I just didn't listen to it. (laughs) Like a, like a true white man. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, in fairness, it was another it was another white dude. Uh, but I just, you know, it, it was the, the, for me, the argument was it was it was a character and the, the character was a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyone who didn't see that was, you know, uh, you just didn't see it. But, but for the most part, people got it, you know. Yeah, I think probably where I screwed up with Black Gum is where I said I stopped the narrative and I said, I J. David Osborne, not the characters in this book, but me, the author, personally hate black and gay people. That was probably where I screwed up in that book. Yeah, you totally screwed up there, dude. Yeah, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Okay, so anyway, so you you publish this; it does pretty good. Then you get with Max, and so like I, I want to talk about this this uh, this new book you got. Yeah, uh, Invasion of the Weirdos. Um, I, I started writing. I was in San Antonio. It started off as a dream. I had a dream where um, I was in an elevator in an office building and two very pasty white looking people with uh, skin tight tinfoil suits on started drilling into the back of my head Whoa. and were telling me, like, don't worry, everything's going to be normal when you wake up. And then I woke up, you know, and everything was normal. And that's actually like a chapter in the book. And that's kind of what started the whole thing. Um and uh, it's just a it, it follows a cast of characters, but the main characters are a guy who used to be a personal assassin for George W. Bush. Um, he got fired from the CIA because he was uh, he was on a mission in the Senate parking lot, but to pass the time, he was banging two blow up dolls. Um, <laughs> two, <laughs> two, two for the price of one. You know. Uh, Oh, it's genius. Okay, uh, go on. And then, and then there's another character named Ephraim, who's uh, he's kind of like a dull-minded but but good, kind-hearted artist, um, who wants to create a uh, a robot vending machine type thing instead of giving cheap plastic toys to kids at McDonald's. We just give them hugs. Whoa, um, I like. And, and 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 to and to do this, he hooks up with the the last living Neanderthal, who's a roboticist as well. Um, and the way he finds them is that the, this Neanderthal uh, creates business cards that are like holodecks. You know, like that, that's, that's how he makes his money. He sells business cards to businessmen to stand out. You oh, know? that's like an upgrade on um, the fucking American Psycho scene then. It's like, oh, yeah? yeah. Well, I got the fucking <laughs> exactly. Sistine Chapel on this bitch. Look at this. And then, you exactly. know goes and kill whatever the uh you know modern day uh equivalent of peter gabriel is somebody can die to that song right uh what's that band's name uh oh man i don't know i have no the, idea i'm not the, hit dude i don't know the, <laughs> the, the, the the butt masters i don't know no yeah i i couldn't name us i mean not that i'm uninterested it's just i'm too lazy so well, i I, I don't know anyone peter gabriel would probably be what like uh I don't know what. Fan, uh, what? <laughs> just watching. It would late. be uh, Max Weinberg, Max Weinberg, former drummer of the Conan O'Brien band. Oh yeah, fuck that guy. That's it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So, all right, yeah, we got the setup here. Yeah. So I mean, that's basically what's about. Uh, it's just 
and it kind of makes fun of Austin uh, culture, which I'm sure is similar to Portland culture. Uh, a lot of hippy dippy kind of stuff, kombucha drinking, mm-hmm. hemp sandal wearing, mm-hmm. conspiracy conspiracy theorizing type oh, yes. folks. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, it just kind of follows these people around that, that range of spectrum to very conservative, to very liberal, mm-hmm. to uh, but no one's really really smart. It's kind of a comedy of uh, idiocy. So wait, hold on a second. That that just got me thinking when you said conspiracy theory. Does Alex Jones live in Austin? He does, man. This is the epicenter of like libertarian craziness. Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. I want to meet that guy so bad. I I, I want to meet him too. I, I I really do. I mean, I I don't like him, but I mean, he, I don't know. I don't know. What's not He's to just like? So nutty. He's so nutty. <laughs> It's true. He's I mean, crazy. He's really. Like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I heard, you mentioned chemtrails with danger. Uh, uh, yes. So Alex Jones is, is really uh, you know, he's chemtrail master. Yeah. He's ground zero, ground zero theories and chemtrails. See, man. OK, so here's my thing. I feel like there are some conspiracy theories that I buy into. Like, OK. As an example, JFK. Shit is weird. No matter what you think, like, that whole situation is strange, right? So I'll entertain it. But then it's this whole, it's this matter of uh, uh, the, the the people you lie with, right? So I I often have, like, strange thoughts or whatever, and I try to go down those those different holes. But you always find that, like, two levels down from the fairly innocuous thought that you had... There's somebody who's like, there's uh, pizza means pedophiles. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just, yeah. it's just this bizarre thing because you're like, well, I'm sure there's like this layer, this this thin crust on the top that the government has is trying to keep a secret, you know, for whatever reason. But then, you know, you listen to Alex Jones and he will, and this might this might make me sound crazy, but there will be a, like two or three things that he'll say. That I'll be like, oh, okay, I buy that. For example, okay, for example, uh, he was talking about the moon landing being fake, and he doesn't think the moon landing is fake. He thinks that basically we did go to the moon, but that since it's really hard to get film canisters back through the atmosphere, they also shot fake footage. So we both went to the moon, and some of the footage is fake. To me, that seems fair. Like, that seems like a level headed thing. But then in the next one, he'll be like, Demons are in your blood, and they want your children. And it's like, okay. See, I, I think the source material for his ideas about, about you know, the, the moon landing conspiracy and the demons in your blood, uh, is the same. It's like his own, it's his own like baseless mind, or you know, I, I don't know. I just, to me, like I'm not an expert in like in anything, basically. Sure. So when, when when someone says the JFK thing is weird. Well, yeah, it's it's pretty fucking weird. The president gets shot, yeah. and it's like, like, no, but you know, like, who shot him? Like, well, I don't know, man. I don't know anything about ballistics or anything like that. Like, he's right. dead. You know, the world moved on. You know, like to me, it's like, what is the point of even like if there was a different answer? I feel like it'd already be out. I don't know. That that, that sounds so defeatist, but I just feel like this. I I, I think people have a, a big problem with uh, thinking this well-liked or strong, powerful person could be killed by some no 
nobody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in Dallas. But a lot of nobodies kill people all the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 why is that so hard to to believe? You know, I, and I think it's because, well, because someone so nobody killed the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah. And, and to me, that's just, you know, that's just enough evidence for like, well, that's kind of like a rabbit hole of conspiracy theorists. If there's no, no real evidence, and I don't know how to even differentiate the evidence because I'm not an expert in any of these things. It's like, well, I'll just buy the line that Oswald did it. You know? Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, and and I I totally see where you're coming from, right? Where it's it's like you're coming from a very practical point of view which is essentially who gives a shit. Um, and <laughs> right. But I, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking shit here. I mean, like, I, I feel like that's totally fine because like the human brain only has so many fucks it can give. And if you really dedicate those fucks to who actually killed Kennedy, I mean, there's much more valuable things you could dedicate your fucks to. Um, right. Yeah. Now with that, I will say, if you ever start looking into it, man, it's it's pretty fucking it's fucking weird like just trust me on that it's 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 fucking weird but no man i mean i i think that like for me uh especially in in our era of quote-unquote post-truth and uh, alternative facts and things like that i i'm getting to the point where you are with the kennedy assassination about the news in general where i'm just like what the fuck i don't fucking care who cares well i mean i i honestly think a lot of this stuff is getting a little overblown. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always been propaganda. There's always been fake news, you know, and all kinds of stuff. I think the difference now is that every moron with a computer can just like and share something without yep. going any deeper. And so you like and share something, all of a sudden, oh, that's trending on Twitter, you know, pizza gate or whatever. And so, whereas uh, 40 years ago, Propaganda was in the form of like posters or commercials and stuff. But now we have like, like news aggregators that just take the most popular stories on Facebook and make articles about how, why they're so popular. And it gives and it automatically gives a story legitimacy because CNN is now exploring whether or not this totally batshit story is legitimate or not. That in itself gives it some legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and, and it's totally and so driven just, by, by profit and by, you know, the fact that. Everybody has to compete. It's capitalism, bro. Totally capitalism. Yeah. Bernie would have won. Oh man, I you know it's just it's you know yeah whatever. <laughs> exactly. No, we're on the same page, dude. It's great to hear somebody else be just yeah. like who fuck who whatever who fuck because it's it's just exhausting now. It's just exhausting. Yeah, because I mean you also get, you get people who are like oh well it must be nice to not have to care about anything and I'm like yeah no it's kind of nice it is nice. Should try it. Like, <laughs> well, I'm mean, but but the question to ask them is like what 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 the fuck are you doing about it? You know, yeah. you care about everything. How could you possibly dedicate all your time to changing any of that? You know, uh, I, I just don't get it. I mean, the the whole guilt, the guilting about you not caring about certain things is, is just it's just a way to make them feel like they're doing something. Guilting other people for not caring isn't like putting food in anybody's mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's also uh, ignoring the so. fact that we only have a certain amount of fucks we can actually realistically give. My whole thing right. is that, like, I have, I have, and I will never say what they are, but I have three things that I dedicate, like, my, that kind of, like, charity time and thought time and money time to. 
and that's it. That's all I got. You know? Yeah. And uh, I think that I just... Well, I mean, I, that's that's more than most people. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, and it's, it's like, I mean, I don't do a whole shitload. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not independently wealthy or anything like that. So it's not a whole lot, yeah. but it's my thing. And fuck you. I have my thing. I'm doing what I can. And so as soon as somebody's like, oh, so you just don't care. I'm like, no, I, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't have to. It's the yeah. same as somebody asking yeah. me for a dollar on the street when I have $5 in my bank account. It's like, I just, I'm sorry. I would love to help, but I just, I can't. I don't have it. Right. So, right. but mentally. Um, but yeah. Totally. So anyway, uh, hey, thanks for coming on, man. What's up? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, it's great. Please come back. Please come back and talk more. Uh, it does. You don't even have to have a book out. Just come back. I like talking to you. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Would be would be would be great. I want to get out to Portland sometime. Whoa. And you should come back to Austin. Dude. I mean, you, you, you were supposed to move to El Paso sometime, right? Yeah, that's off the table now. Off the table. Okay. Well, you got to come back and visit Texas. Oh, for sure. Are you kidding me? Austin is like. Man, Austin really would be like the place I think. Besides, besides Portland, yeah. I mean, and Portland is mostly just because I'm like anchored in now. You know, good job yeah. and stuff like that. But Austin is just, man. There's so many good people there, and it's such a good town. Like, ugh, it's so yeah. great. Like, but nobody else yeah. moved I mean, to I Austin. Like, don't fuck it up. Like, just let it be <laughs> what it is. Like, stop moving to Austin. Yeah. Um, go make your. Uh, in fact, part of the. Part... Go ahead. What, what... Oh, I was gonna say, if you're gonna go somewhere, go to like Raleigh Durham. That's that's a good next Austin. Let let, let Austin be Austin. Yeah, I got. And then go to Raleigh Durham. Yep, I got, I got a friend who moved from Austin to Raleigh, so uh, he's doing his part and keeping it slim out here. It's such a good city. It's great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man. Cool, man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate your time, sir. Talk to you later.